Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, if you've been missing out, we're on a journey through the chapter Hebrews 11. Who's been enjoying getting into this? A couple of us, I see some head nods. Um, it is as I'm as I'm reading through again, even this week, I am so appreciative of the 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 meat that is contained in God's word. As I'm reading through verse by verse, seeing that there is so much that is available to us in Christ because of what He has done, and Hebrews is is a pivotal letter to the church because it's uh, unpacking a lot of what. The, the old kind of covenant thinking, the Old Testament, the old way of uh, God's relationship with man through Christ, through the filter of Jesus. And it points to how great and how sovereign He is. And I'm excited this morning to, to continue on in that, that passage, but I want to put a disclaimer out there. The passage that I've been given this morning is, is so rich that there is no way I'm going to be able to pull it all, all apart this morning. So you're going to have some homework who wants some homework? This is good homework, reading the Bible. This is the kind of homework you want to be, I want that homework. This is good homework. So you're gonna, I'm going to encourage you to read through it for yourself, to make the connections for yourself. And uh, I'm going to unpack as much as I can this morning. But uh, let's pray before we get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, that, that as we open up this book this morning, we're not opening an empty book with uh, just some letters on a page. We are opening a, an invitation from you to come into your life, to experience you, to see you afresh. And I pray that as we open the text this morning, God, that you would speak to each of our hearts. Me as a person, I don't know where everyone is at. I don't know what their needs are. I don't know what you're doing in their lives, but you do. And by your spirit, you're able to divide what is spoken to all of us individually, as well as us corporately, to speak into our hearts and show us what you want to say to us today. We thank you so much for uh, the gathering together that we get to do. And we just pray that as we uh, gather today, that you are honored in our midst, that we point one another to the Christ that is risen, and that we enjoy you forevermore. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you hadn't noticed, we are in the midst of a Ellenbrook baby boom. There are babies popping up left, right, and center. Sarah, I saw you there. You, got, you can't have much longer, yeah? A week? Four days till she, she brings the, the next baby into the family here. But we are in a, a baby bonanza. I don't know what happened in COVID. I ain't saying nothing, but we're getting babies left, right, and center. And, and, and it, it's, a, it's a joy. It's a celebration to have all these little ones coming into the family. We're seeing baby showers and uh, all the celebration of these new lives. And um, it made me think about the time when I first had a baby. Well, I didn't actually have the baby, but my wife had the baby. And um, just the, the, the change in my perception towards babies from that point. Before that, I think back, and I think I was almost allergic to babies. I don't know if you've ever held a baby, and you can tell they've never held a baby before. 
Have you ever had someone like, you know, you know, there's a new baby and it's kind of awkward, like parents are like, do you want to hold him? And you're kind of like, I don't want to break it. I'm afraid. And then you do hold it and it starts to wriggle and you're like, it's moving. And they do that. It, it's, it just feels uncomfortable. I'm not, but then when I had my own baby, it was like, yeah, I'll hold the baby. I'm okay with the baby. The baby's cute. My whole perception of what babies look like is different now. Because uh, I don't know, before that, before having my own child, I was like, I see a baby and the parents are like, aren't they so adorable? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course they're adorable. They're beautiful little babies. So here's some advice for us as a church. As these babies are coming in, I I just felt that we need to be prepared for uh, all of these babies that are going to be joining us. So I've got some advice for us today on how to welcome babies in. One, just make sure you say they're cute. Okay? Don't say anything else. They're beautiful. They're lovely. They're cute. Two, be prepared for the awkwardness of trying to hold a baby. Because if someone offers you to hold their baby, that's that's an honor. Don't reject that. Say, no, I can't hold the baby. But here's a couple of other pictures that we've put together just for a manual of how to uh, welcome these babies in. Helping the baby to teethe. We've got some do's and don'ts. Do, don't. Next one. Fun games for the baby. Hide and seek, bad chess. Next one. Stimulating the baby. We've got the, the thing. Don't put the TV over the cot. Next one. Make the baby smile. Actions not by their face. Yes, next one. Bonding with baby. Bit of eye contact, not a coffee. Checking the baby's diaper. Not that you should have to, but just in case you are asked to. Next one. Feeding the baby, not a chicken wing. Next one. Waking the baby, not an air horn. Just in case. I feel like we just got to be prepared for the babies that might be coming into the house, okay? What was the last one? Yeah. That, that's going to happen. That is going to happen. Let's just forget that one. Just to be prepared. But we're jumping into Hebrews chapter 11, and, and there is a baby in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which is what actually got me onto this thinking as there is a connection to what I just said. But in verse um, 23, we're jumping into verse 23 this morning of Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read it. It says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him away for three months because they saw that God had given them an unusual child. Now, if you did not have context to this passage, you may think that that is quite a weird thing, that uh, Moses' parents had this baby and they thought he was unusual. And so they hid him away. Maybe you could think, you know, they've had the baby and they're like, wow, this is a weird kind of baby. We don't want the world to see this baby, so we've got to hide this baby for three months. But the context of this, which the, the, the writer to the Hebrews was assuming of those who were reading it, is that if we go back into Exodus chapter 1, uh, Phoebe, verse 22, you can see here that the Hebrews had actually started to have their own baby boom. 
They'd been exploding. There were, there were babies being born, and Pharaoh got threatened. They were living in Egypt under the Pharaoh's rule, and he got threatened by the size of the Hebrews as they were starting to grow. The Israelites, that they were uh, starting to get so numerous, which was a promise that we, we read previously, that he was getting threatened because if there was too many of them, maybe at some point they would overpower his kingdom. And so Pharaoh made a ruling. In verse 22, we read it. It says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So when Moses was born, there was an order that had been given that every baby boy needed to be drowned, which gives us an understanding of why Moses' parents hid him away for three months. And it says that they were not afraid to disobey the king. As, as Pastor John said, I've got three kind of titles for this this morning. Sovereignty, suffering, and salvation. Sovereignty, suffering, and salvation. We see that the, the Israelites had an understanding that even though they lived under the Pharaoh's rule, that they were from another kingdom. That they existed as a people under the rule of Yahweh. That whilst Pharaoh was giving commands, while Pharaoh was, was overseeing them, while Pharaoh, Pharaoh was enslaving them, their hearts and their lives came under the, the banner of the eternal sovereign God, Yahweh. They believed that He was their God. And so they believed that He was sovereign. Pharaoh held a position. Pharaoh had some power. But the Israelites understood that their God was a sovereign God. And that meant two things to them. The first thing that it meant to them was that they understood that He was the ultimate authority on all things. That there was no authority that was in, 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 in order that wasn't there placed by Him, but that there was nothing that was, that, that was above His Lordship. So they understood that Yahweh, their God, the God that they served, was the ultimate authority. That He was sovereign. That He was the King. And if you watch the people, God's people, you see that, that throughout their history, they're taken into different empires, they're taken into different kingdoms, they're taken into exile, they're taken into different you know, Babylonian uh, captivity. And each time that they go into there, you can see that they, whilst they're under oppressive government or under oppressive rulership, they understand that they're not of that kingdom. That they have a higher authority, that Yahweh, their God, is higher than any ruler that they're under. And so when Moses' parents have this child, and we don't really see the word unusual in, in the NLT, it's, it's, it's better translated to, I think the, the King James says, proper. It's like elegant. They saw that there was something special about this child. And I believe that God would have given them some sort of insight into this. They wouldn't have understood what he was to go on to do, that he would deliver the people. But they saw something in this child and they said, we're going to hide him away. We're not going to allow the Egyptians to take him and drown him. Thankfully, they disobeyed what was, what was there. They understood that, that God was sovereign, and so God's purposes were the most important things. And so they hid him away for three months. For three months, they put their lives at risk trying to hide this baby. 
I can imagine that, that, that there was fear, that there was probably a bit of concern. What if, he, if he's found? They'll take him and they'll drown him. What if, what, what if they find out what we've been doing? They'll take us and they'll kill us. Pharaoh wasn't a nice man. He wasn't there to, to kind of help the Hebrews, to, to help them. He was there to, they were slave drivers. They were beating them. They wanted to wipe them out. They were just using them to build their own empire. They weren't nice to him. And so if they had been caught, they would have been killed. And that's why it says, by faith, they hid away Moses. It was an act of faith to protect God's sovereign purpose at the risk of losing their lives. It wasn't an act of fear. It was an act of faith. They hid Moses away for three months because they understood that God's plan, that God was sovereign, that he was the king. And no matter what could happen to them on this earthly life, that, that, that he was theirs and they were his. They understood his sovereignty. If we look, we look back at Exodus, can we put Exodus chapter 2 up there please, Phoebe? Exodus chapter 2, verse. Uh, let's go from verse 1. Exodus 2 verse 1, it says, About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby. So this is like connecting what we read in Hebrews to, to the actual story. The special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus, reeds, and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the, the bank of the river Nile. Just leave it there. So this also speaks of her, the parents' understanding of God's sovereignty. In one aspect, they understood that he was the eternal king, that he reigned, that he was the, the sovereign king of all. But on the other aspect, they understood that he oversaw everything, that nothing went outside of his, his watch that nothing went outside of, of his control, that there was nothing um, outside of his leadership. Where's he going? Is my preaching that bad? Get a run out. They understood that, that, that God was sovereign and that he was their, their keeper, that he was their watcher, that he was the one that was looking after them, looking out for them. And so you can imagine, uh, I don't know if this is a great escape plan that you would do today. Your baby is in threat of, of, of being drowned so you take him and put him in a boat and put him in the river and just let go well hang on a second that that doesn't sound like the you know the the most you wouldn't do that but but it shows something it shows that Moses parents by faith believed that God's promise would be kept by God and they just released him into the river and believed that God would look after him Think about the act. Think about what they did. They took a child, their child that they knew was special. They knew it was, uh, there, there was something on this kid. They put him in, in this little basket and they put him in the river. And say, God, he is yours. I'm releasing him to you. Does that not speak to you of the understanding that God is sovereign and, and that, that he is the one who will bring his purposes to fruition. Now, some of us perhaps struggle with this. And I, I love that part there. It says, but when, they, when she could no longer hide him, when she could no longer hide him, 
You know, it took faith to hide him, but there came a point when she could no longer do it. And at that point, she had to release him into the hands of God. Some of us may have some stuff in our lives where we're, we're holding on to it, and by faith we're trying, and by faith we're believing, and by faith we're doing what we can do. But there comes a point when you just got to trust God and let go, where you just got to release that child into the river, where you just got to say, God, I, I'm by faith believing this, but I'm also by faith releasing this to you, and I'm trusting you to watch over your promise, to watch over your word, to watch over that which you are initiating, that which you are doing, and I'm just going to take my hands off and trust in your sovereignty. With your finances, with your lives, with your relationships, with your education, with your vocation, I mean, some of us hold on to it, and God says, I just want you to release that to me. Just put that in my hands. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I'm watching over. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a long time. And it takes faith to let go. It takes faith to put it in his hands, to release it, and to let, let, it, let it go. Because the next passage says that his sister watched on to see what happened. But it doesn't say that his mom was there. Because we can release something to God and let go of it and say, God, here it is, but I'm just going to stick around and make sure that you do it the way I was planning to do it. I'm going to release it to you. I'm going to let go of tabs on how you're doing with it. You know, it takes faith to just say, God, I'm, pray, I'm placing this in your hands. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. You are sovereign. You're in control. And if this doesn't work out the way that I think it was going to work out, then I trust you anyway. You're faithful anyway. I'm going to release it, let it go, and trust in your sovereignty. Now, here's something to think about. And I'm going to be a little bit graphic and maybe a little bit gruesome. But Moses' mother places her son in the same river that will now be filled with bodies. Have a think about this. Hebrew boys have been brought down to the river and drowned in the same river, in the Nile. Moses' mom brings her son and places him in the same river. The river that was a place of destruction becomes the pathway to deliverance. That which the enemy intended for evil, God turns around and uses for his good. That which the enemy had, had means for destruction, God uses for deployment. He actually takes Moses where he needs to be for the next journey of his life, for the next season of his life. That which the enemy had intended to, to kill the people becomes the very passageway to their deliverance as Moses is taken down there. There are things that the enemy wants to use in your life to, to destroy you, to break you down, to discourage you. And God will turn those things around and use them for your redemption, for your deliverance, for your salvation, for your strengthening. We serve an incredible God. We sing that song, He's an awesome God. He is an awesome God. And the very, I, I just think it's incredible that that very place that was being used for death becomes the passage to life as they release Moses into God's hands. 
It speaks of their understanding of His sovereignty. I want to ask you this morning, do you have faith in the God that is sovereign? Do you have faith in the God that is sovereign? That will be tested when you have to let God be sovereign. That will be tested when you have to allow your heart to release something to Him and trust in His sovereignty. I I love this saying, when we do not have clarity, we must trust in His sovereignty. When I don't understand it all, when it's all murky and muddy, I'm going to trust that He's sovereign, that He is in control, that He's watching over, that it hasn't gone beyond His watch, that He knows what He's doing. He, he knows who I am. He knows what He's doing in my life. And so they hid Him by faith, and then they released Him by faith. And then we read on in Hebrews 11, verse... Are you tracking with me? Hebrews 11, verse... 24. It says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's say that again. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, again, same thing that we see in his parents, not fearing the king. Not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because his eyes were kept on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses, verse 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. This this is like some mind-blowing stuff. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. There is this huge question that every person asks. And as a Christian, you will get asked this question. If God is sovereign, then why is there suffering? If God is sovereign, then why is there suffering? Great question. I would ask the question, can the two exist in the same place? Can there be a God that is sovereign and a humanity that experiences suffering? Yes. We see this in Jesus. A God that is sovereign, and yet a God that allows himself to suffer. The writer to the Hebrews actually makes this point throughout his letter to to say that, to emphasize that Jesus is like us in suffering, that he experienced things that we experience, that he is compassionate toward us because of what he experienced, because of what he went through, that he's empathetic, that he understands our plight, our suffering, because of what he himself went through. 
The question, if God is sovereign, then how is there suffering or why is there suffering? Let's look at what Moses' disposition was in this passage. It says that in light of God's sovereignty, because he understood that he was from a different kingdom, he chose to suffer. Hang on a second. He chose to suffer. Scott, you're going to put off all the new people? You're going to, you know, you're, not, you're going to put people off from choosing to follow Jesus? Man, I wish someone told me right from the start that when I choose Jesus, there is going to be things in my life that follow that will, I'm going to experience difficulty, that I'm going to experience suffering, that I'm going to experience pain. Because that is a part of it. What we do in, in choosing Jesus is the same as what Moses did. It says that he forsook the, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, put aside the treasures of Egypt, and thought it was better to share in the oppression of his people for the sake of Christ. Maybe the question shouldn't be, if there is a sovereign God, why is there suffering? Maybe the question should be, if there is a sovereign God, how can I suffer in a way that, that, that uh, points to his sovereignty? How can I walk through this life and experience some of the things that I need to experience in a way that points to his, his care, in a way that points to his love, in a way that looks joyful, in a way that looks hope-filled, in a way that, that points to a savior, in a way that points to the sovereignty of God and doesn't take away from that question. My suffering, my difficulty, my trial, is, it's, it does not mean there is an absence of God. Often it actually means that, that God is doing something in me, that He's working something for maturity in my life, that He's doing something in you. Now, am I saying that, that God just wants you to suffer? Not exactly. But God understands that in this world there is suffering and that we're going to walk through, we're, we're going through this passage, that we're going to experience some of that. What blows me away about Moses, though, is that he had the choice. He actually had the choice. He could have just said, I'm, I'm, this, the son, I'm Pharaoh's son. I, I, I'm, I'm part of this kingdom. I'm, I'm going to experience all the goodness. I'm going to experience the, the, the riches, the glory, the gold. And he said, no. I think it's better for me to, to share in the oppression of God's people. Because my reward is not on this earth. It says that he looked forward to his great reward. He understood that, that all of the riches in this world do not compare to the glory that will be seen in Jesus. He understood that, that, that all of the dollars and, and, and the, the power that he could have had, the status that he could have had, the kingdom that he could have helped rule, that it compared nothing, it did not compare to what was in God, what his, his inheritance was in God. And so he made a decision based upon this rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's, let's equate that to today. If you were offered to have all of the riches of Australia, you had the palace, you could sit with the prime minister, you could hang out with Mark McGowan, you could drink coffees with ScoMo, you could, you could, you could have power and authority and you could have a mansion 
how does it sound? Does it sound good? No, it doesn't really, does it? <laughs> Probably a bad illustration. But to say, no, I, I'm going to give up all of that stuff and I'm actually going to be with the people that are being whipped and having to make bricks and being beaten and being bashed and being hurt and being oppressed. I'm actually going to make a choice to come into that space. I'm not going to take comfort. I'm not going to depend on the pleasures of this world. Instead, I'm going to have my eyes fixed upon the one who is to come. I'm going to have my eyes fixed upon God. And Moses, by faith, made these choices. Now, some of us are going to suffer some things. This is really encouraging. <laughs> I felt last year God was saying, just prepare the church to suffer well. Because there's some stuff that's going to come in the days that we're leading into that's going to test our hearts. That's going to test our allegiance. That's going to test, do I say he is king or do I say that is king? But it's not just down to, uh, you know, let's jump back to Matthew. We see this in Matthew chapter 4 verse 8. Jesus actually was challenged with this very same thing. In verse 8 it says, the devil took him, he's just been tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. It says, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says this, I will give it all to you. Ship me. What's he say? Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus has been tempted. He, he's been fasting. He's hungry. He, he, he's, he's at this point where the enemy says, have a look at all of the kingdoms, all of their glory. It could all be yours. But you just need to kneel down and worship me. You know, who we recognize as sovereign affects our worship. Who we bow the knee to in worship shows who we, show, who we say is sovereign. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. The word says, I will, you are to worship your God and your God only. But there's another aspect of suffering that we see as we follow Jesus, and it's this. It's the internal suffering of transformation. It's the internal pain of becoming more like Jesus. I mean, we say that like it's a beautiful thing, and it is a beautiful thing. The end product is a beautiful thing. But the process... The process by which He changes us, by which He conforms us to His image, He makes us more like Jesus. Am I the only one that finds that a little bit tricky at times? Am I the only one that thinks that sometimes that's painful? Sometimes that's actually confronting? Sometimes that's difficult? Sometimes there's suffering as I have to grieve, as I have to let go of, as I have to change, as I have to think differently, as everything that I thought was true before now is being changed and challenged by His Word and by what He says. This beautiful process, but sometimes in the middle of it, it's painful. That, that kind of suffering that, you know, here's, here's one thought, right? To 
say that we actually need transformation requires us to first say there's something not right. There's something that needs to change. Maybe it's anger, the way we get angry. For me to to say that I need transformation in that area requires me to acknowledge that there's something that needs to change in my heart. Maybe it's pride. When God puts his hand on that area and says, uh, I want to work some humility in you, sometimes that's like an ouch kind of thing. And the process, you know the old patience? God, I want patience. And then he takes you through peak hour traffic. He's going to work that patience in you. It's not just a zap kind of thing. Jesus doesn't just zap you and say, now you're patient. Be patient. Now you're humble. Be humble. Those are things that we grow in, that, we proce- that we, we, there's a process of transformation that we go through. And sometimes that is painful. I had this picture once, and I didn't share it publicly because I was like, this might scare people. But since we're in a scary kind of sermon right now, let me share it with you. I had this picture, and I was praying like, God, send the rain of your spirit. Send the rain of your spirit. Let your spirit just rain down on us. And then I think in the back of my mind, I kind of had like this picture of us like dancing in the rain. And it's like this kind of like sunflowers and umbrellas and, you know, twirling sort of stuff. I was like, it's going to be beautiful dancing in the rain of the Spirit. And then I saw this rain that was pouring upon people. And it was like acid. I know, that's why I didn't share it. (laughs) It doesn't sound very encouraging. But it was, it was kind of like acid, and I was like, what is going on? And I saw that flesh was kind of, you know, flesh was kind of being eaten away at. And I was like, what is this? But then underneath the flesh, I saw this like shiny, golden kind of substance in people. And I was like, what is that, God? And I felt like he said that the, the spirit is going gonna to eat away at the flesh, it's at war with the flesh. It's going to kind of erode the flesh so that the, the glory of God can be seen through your life. And that might be a little bit painful at times. You might not be singing Kumbaya and dancing in the, in the acid rain. I hope I'm not you know, putting you off. But it was just like washing away the flesh and, and it, was, it looked like a painful thing. But, but that can be the case with us is that God in his purification of us, in his sanctification as he washes over us, that sometimes it's a little bit painful. And sometimes we choose to walk away from it. We go back to the text, we see that Moses chose this. He had the opportunity for comfort, for pleasure. He had the opportunity for the ruling of, the, of, of a kingdom. And yet he chose this life. I want to ask you, are you willing, as you follow Jesus, to experience hardship for his sake? Are you willing to walk that path that is not broad, but is narrow, that is going to require you to become more narrow as you are transformed more and more into his image. Let me read something from 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this, Dear friends, I love this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. 
as if it's some strange as if it's something strange that were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have this wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Verse 15 says, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into others' affairs. Let's just make that clear. Suffering because you murdered someone is not suffering for Christ. That is suffering for doing something silly. He's he's making a differentiation. He's not saying everything that you suffer is because of the sake of Christ. Sometimes it's your own choices. Sometimes it's the mistakes. Sometimes it's our rebellion that, that, that we're suffering for. There is a distinction. It's not because you got a speeding fine. No, no judgment. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian, praise God, for the privilege of being called by His name. For being called by His name. In verse 10 of First Peter 5, it says, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by the means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little... He will restore, support, and strengthen you. And He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to Him forever. Amen. After you have suffered for a while, for a little while, He will restore you, support you, strengthen you, and place you on a firm foundation. Sovereignty, suffering, and salvation. Verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because his eyes because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I'm going to read that again. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I was reading this on Monday. I got to this this section and I was like, snap. That is a word for me. That is a word for us. I messaged Stella. I was like, check this out. What is the key to walking through suffering? What is the key to walking through trial? What is the key? It's to keep on going with your eyes fixed on the one who is invisible. Some of us need to hear that today. Keep on going, but keep your eyes fixed on the one that is invisible. Keep on on 
going, but keep your eyes fixed on the one that is invisible. As Moses left Egypt, it was easy for him to turn back, to look back at the one that was chasing him. It's easy for him to look around and see the problems and and the situations that they're about to go through. It would be easy for him to look forward and see what is coming, the the, the uncertainty. I'm not sure how I'm going to lead these people, but it says that he kept on going, keeping his eyes on the one that was invisible. He kept his eyes on God and he kept on going. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12. After listing all of these these incredible heroes of faith, he says, and, and ultimately look to the example of Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Look to him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the situation. Look to Jesus. How do we persevere? How do we continue to go? We keep on going with our eyes fixed on Him. And so they left by faith. They left Egypt. We read then, and we're going to finish with this. uh, and, And I want to go back into that song, God, I look to you. So if the music team of Graham, maybe you could come and... I said there's sovereignty, suffering, and then salvation. Sovereignty, suffering, and salvation. Verse 28 says, It was was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea, though they were on dry ground. And when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given him a friendly welcome to the spies. We, we see this passage. It talks of God's sovereignty. We see Moses moving into this place of suffering. But then it gives us four pictures of salvation. Four pictures of God's salvation. They understood, these people understood that God was their Savior. Yahweh was the one who would deliver them. Yahweh was the one who would, who would uh, redeem the people. Whilst they were suffering, whilst they were under oppression, they continued to look and believe that He's coming. That one day, somehow, God is going to lead us to freedom. And by faith, Moses commanded the people to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. By faith, they were saved as they smeared blood over their doorposts. And then by faith, they went through the Red Sea as though it was dry ground. By faith, they received deliverance. And even though the enemy was chasing after them, they were being delivered. 
And then by faith, the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. By faith, they received victory. By faith, they received that victory. And then Rahab was, sh- was spared because of the relationship she had with the spies because she gave them space. You see these pictures coming into our salvation. That because of the blood of Jesus that has washed us clean, that has uh, been covered, uh, covered our lives, we will not face eternal death. Because of Jesus and what He has done, even though the enemy has pursued us, the enemy will be drowned in the very waters which He chases us through. And He won't drown in, in waters like we know. He'll drown in the fiery lake. The enemy will be overcome and we will be delivered. And then by faith, we will receive the victory, the promised land, who is God Himself. And then by faith, just as Rahab, because of the relationship she had, when the time comes, God will say, yes, she's with me. Yes, He's with me. Yes, they're with me. Because the relationship we have and whilst you suffer for a moment whilst you suffer for a little salvation is coming salvation is here right now the name Jesus means Yahweh saves so when the sun came oh, when the sun came it was the chapter 11 that promise of, of the seed that would bring salvation to the people of God And we in this room experience the salvation of Jesus. Jesus, the one who saves. Jesus, the one who delivers. Jesus, the one who walks us through the Red Sea. Jesus, the one who brings down the walls of Jericho. Jesus, the one who says that that is my son, that is my daughter. They are identified by me. Jesus saves Salvation is here today. Salvation is possible, not because of our good works, not because of what we've earned, not because we try to get God's favor, but because God saves. And from the beginning, God has wanted to save. God wants to save us. Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Jesus, the one who was, is and is still to come. Jesus gives us salvation, brings deliverance. He gives us life. And he is the he is the picture of this story. Hebrews 2 Verse 10, it says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, the captain, fit to bring them into their salvation. Jesus, through his suffering, the leader, the captain of our salvation, The sovereign God who himself subjected himself to suffering now delivers his people, brings salvation. 
Eternally, that is good news. But it's also good news for right now. I wonder if we can stand together. And we're going to sing this song again. God, I look to you. And maybe today you need some encouragement. You just need some realignment with your vision. Your eyes have become hazy. You've, you've kind of looked off the track. Well, today let's realign our vision to Him. Don't look to your finances to save you. Don't look to your relationships to save you. Don't look to your employment, to your degrees, to your lack of degrees. Don't look at your past. Don't look at your future. Look to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the promise of your Son. Father, we thank you that, Jesus, you are here right now. We thank you, God, for your presence with us. We recognize your sovereignty. We understand that choosing to follow you will sometimes bring suffering. But God, we trust you for salvation. We trust you that you are the one that delivers us, that you are the one that strengthens us, that you are the one that will lead us to that place of experiencing the fullness of your life, the fullness of victory. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.